The three counselors at AffairHealing.com, Sharon, Jennifer, and myself, recently sat down to have new discussions about six topics that we addressed in the first two years of producing the Recovery Room podcasts. If you haven't already listened to episode 406, you might want to start there because the introduction explains a little bit more about why we did this and how we chose the topics. We continue the conversation in this episode looking at three areas of choices that are made following infidelity. We look at the choices of compromise when someone crosses a line into behaviors of infidelity. We talk about the struggle that some people seem to go through as they consider whether to go back into their marriage or to stay with the affair partner. And finally, we look at those choices that are made that indicate sincere efforts towards a fair recovery in a relationship. For more information about this episode or about the previous podcasts that also address these issues, go to affairhealing.com slash podcast 407. Welcome to The Recovery Room, a podcast presented by AffairHealing.com. Here are your hosts, Tim, Sharon, and Jennifer. In the earlier podcast where we looked at what it meant to cross the line into infidelity, there are two stories, my own And a client who agreed to allow me to use her story tells her experience of crossing the line in fidelity. And it might be worth going back and listening to those for examples. But let's take a different excerpt from the beginning of that podcast and listen to it now. Where does an affair start? Let's begin by first defining what we mean by affair and infidelity. Sometimes those terms are used to mean the same things, but sometimes there's a distinction between the two of them. And some people who have broken the promises they've made to a spouse get defensive when you call their act an affair when they think it didn't really go far enough to deserve that label. So let me give kind of a general definition. Let's think about infidelity this way. Infidelity is the breaking of an intimate trust, but it's not necessarily an affair. Examples of infidelity may include the use of porn, visiting a strip club, a person's private obsession over somebody else, not their spouse, maybe just a one-sided pursuit of one person to another, trying to get a relationship started, but it's never reciprocated by the other. Any of those things, if it's outside of the agreement between two people in an intimate relationship, is a violation of trust and would be considered an act of infidelity. An affair is an infidelity that leads to a relationship. So every affair includes infidelity, but perhaps not every infidelity becomes an affair in the way that we're defining it here. And our consideration today is going to be primarily the look at the person who at one time acted in faithfulness, but then eventually made a choice of unfaithfulness. They eventually crossed a line. We won't necessarily be talking about someone who characteristically, from the first moment they started getting involved in relationships, has never been trustworthy, has consistently and constantly cheated. We want to consider the more common experiences of relationships that really started out with an intention to faithfulness, and yet somewhere along the way, one of the partners got off course. 
When does that begin to happen? When I was in college undergrad, I took a class called Organizational Dysfunction. And it was all about systems failures and how man-made disasters never happen because of one terrible thing that happens. For example, an airplane doesn't just suddenly malfunction in the air and go down. There were an entire series of events that has to come into play in order for that end result to be a disaster. That was fascinating to me, that concept. And I feel like an affair or infidelity of any kind, it's not because of one thing. There is a system of choices that this person made leading them down the path to where they cross the line. I would say, in my opinion, crossing the line is anything you know your spouse would not be comfortable with you doing. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, and it could be maybe different somewhat for different people, but I think if you were to come up to a situation where you have that check, where you go, uh, should I hide that from my, probably, I probably should hide that from my person. I, I probably shouldn't tell them that I had that little flirty thing in the hallway with that person. If you have to say that to yourself, you are already crossing a line. That's how I feel about so it. So it's the point that you are, by deed, thought, word, <laughs> mm-hmm. breaking the implicit agreed trust between you and a partner. Mm-hmm. Implicit or explicit, explicit, explicit. Yeah, sure. whatever has been established is the trusting agreement between that can be different between different couples. Sure. Mm-hmm. But when you are violating, doing something or saying something, moving in a direction that violates that trust, that is a crossing of a line mm-hmm. into infidelity. Mm-hmm. You talked about this progression of choices and it's not right. one thing. And I agree with that. That's kind of the understanding why we work with that. Mm-hmm. But where in that process of choices are made, would you say that is the crossing the line? And you said, well, it's at any point that you're breaking the trust. Yeah, and that you make a decision to not tell your person. Even if you're doing it, couching it so that you feel better in your head by saying, you know, not really thinking about it. Just so kind it, beca- of like, oh, it becomes secretive or private, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. withheld from the other person. Mm-hmm. Whether we lie by... Uh, Omission or commission. Yes. <laughs> we state the lie or we just leave the truth out yeah. to give a certain impression so mm-hmm. we can say, oh, I didn't tell you a lie. Mm-hmm. Well, you kind of did because you... Mm-hmm. And again, that justification, I think, happens in their heads where even if they get that little check of like, oh, that was probably something, they just kind of blow it off in their own heads. Like, justify it. Yeah, make it like, oh, So the crossing the line isn't taking my clothes off and having sex with someone uh, I'm not no. married to. Again, that's <laughs> that the is disaster. a line. That's, a line. <laughs> that's the disaster at the end. <laughs> so I know that infidelity can be watching porn. It could be all these different things. But I read a quote and it said, affairs don't start in the bedroom. They start with a conversation. Absolutely. And I think when it comes to affairs, when you talk about where there's this other person, this investment in some way, shape or form, it starts with a conversation. It's mm-hmm. when you cross the line at some point mm-hmm. with sharing with them what you're not sharing with your spouse. Yep. And so I thought that was really... Yep. And you know, it's interesting. I know that there's all different people and their perceptions are all different and emotional sensitivity to other people and stuff like that. However, is it overstating it for me to say, I really can't 
believe that when a coworker says something kind of flirty to you, that you don't pick up on their fishing. They want to see if you're going to respond in kind and that they're safe to have this inappropriate conversation with you. I think some people do. I think, honestly, some people don't. Some people don't. Okay. I, I do. I, think I would so. agree with that. I think some people just are not. Not into Tuned into like, that stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. Okay. But I think, I would say the majority of people more would be what Sharon said, that mm. they have some inkling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it would be some examples of crossing the line. From the starting point again, like the yeah, first the, line? It would be some examples of the first time maybe in experiences, whether you just you know can summarize what you know happens in relationships or maybe you think specific examples that you okay. know of. I have what would examples. be some of those things? Let's <laughs> go around and, and just share some of those maybe first crossing the lines. So I have a time that I worked with somebody who we had been friends for a long time and then we were working together as well and we were having a break one day and there were even other people around so it seemed to the untrained eye (laughs) that this was just kind of harmless but this person started kind of joking around he's like what if um you and i weren't both married to other people And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, would something ever happen? Like, if we weren't both married, you know, just, you know, do you think so? Like, we would have made a good couple. And I said, I'm not going to go there. And he was like, and I said it with a smile, but I just said, nope, not going there. And he was like, no, it's no big deal. It's just this thing. And I'm like, what do you think? What, you think that we would get together? You think we would have if we hadn't married other people? And I was like, I'm not going there. And I kind of got more serious, you know, uh, And he was like, what are you talking about? There's no big deal. And I just was starting to get kind of annoyed or my guard went, woo, way up. (laughs) Because I'm very hypersensitive to that stuff. But I looked at him and I said, that's how affairs start. And he just shut up. He was like, brr. (laughs) And I was like, seriously, that is it. And that's an example from uh, from his perspective of someone that was attempting to cross the line. Now, we don't know what was in his mind. You're right. I don't. And, And there are some people that that habitually are looking for opportunities right. and they throw out that line to see yeah. if we respond. But maybe he's never had an affair before. And in right. his mind, he's just like, he was this is in, just yeah, fun right. to be curious yeah. about. And, and knowing him, I would say that is more of what was happening. But that leads to the next compromise yes, and the next compromise. Exactly. That's how so many start. It's like yeah. you're inoculating yourself a little yeah. bit at a time. Oh, well, that felt kind of good. You get a little perk out of it. A little, little bit of dopamine mm-hmm. release, you know. Jen, do you think of an example? So I think more in generic terms of social media, mm-hmm. when how many people are reconnecting with old friends and they mm-hmm. happen to be exes mm-hmm. and it just starts out as, oh, we're just going to, you know, email, yeah. hey, how's life? What's yeah, going on? Sure. And that turns into, oh, my husband and I had this argument yep. or my wife doesn't really support me. And it's just this gradual decline where mm-hmm. it starts out very innocent. I think a lot of times people do that very innocently. Mm-hmm. And then you start sharing things that you're not sharing with your spouse. Mm-hmm. And you start looking forward to the emails. Mm-hmm. And you start looking forward That's to right. the little dings yep. that pop little up. little dopamine. And Ooh. so I think with today's technology and today's society, that probably happens a lot. Oh, yeah. Where it starts out as we're just old friends reconnecting. Mm-hmm. Yep. What about you, Tim? Do you have an example of crossing the line? <laughs> well, you know, you, you've given some specific choices and behaviors. I think some for some people, crossing the line can just start in the way they begin to think. Mm. Uh they begin to think critically about their partner or spouse, mm-hmm. and they begin to then imagine, oh, it'd be so much better or easier with this person or that person. And maybe they go beyond that and start investing in friendships 
They're not doing or saying anything that's inappropriate by any, you know, objective measure. But if you get behind what was fueling their choices and their thoughts and their inclinations, you would see, oh, there's a lot of energy being poured into the pursuit of those friendships and relationships that's not being poured into your marriage. So Uh that can be a step mm-hmm. way before anything is ever said or done. Yeah, well, you're right. And that would be a prime example of when vulnerability would be helpful. Because if you could allow yourself to be vulnerable with your spouse and come to them and say, I have to talk to you. I'm struggling. Like, I feel like we're not connecting. I feel this thing popping up in me where I feel kind of resentful. And, and I just, I don't want this. So mm-hmm. what can we do? And let's work on this stuff that's what you're supposed to do, (laughs) you know? And that way you guys are together on it. But if you hide it and you don't want to be vulnerable and share, then you just probably are going to keep going down that same path of this is my secret life over here and I'm allowing these other fantasy kind of things to come in and then systems failure. (laughs) Part of our understanding why course is giving attention to this is stepping back and saying, let's look at the progression of choices and how far back can you go? Mm Because typically the way we look at here's where the mistakes were made, here's Mm -hmm. where the lines were crossed is much farther down the road. And we start being honest about going, oh, it happened much earlier Mm -hmm. in these more innocent choices. But Mm -hmm. when I look at them now, maybe they weren't so innocent. Yeah. I think one of the most popular early podcasts was the one we did titled The Ping Pong Effect, in which we talked about the indecision, especially experienced by the person having an affair or who had an affair, on deciding, do I commit to working on my marriage or relationship, or do I want to return to the affair partner? Let's listen to the introduction of the original podcast. Let's talk about a problem experienced by many couples following the discovery of an affair. And it occurs when the unfaithful spouse is indecisive regarding their choice to return to the marriage or not. And an affair in which there has been a strong emotional connection is more likely to result in this, this kind of uncertainty because the wayward spouse is often conflicted between the choice to recommit to the spouse or to stay with the affair partner. I mean, this indecision can go on for a very long time. I've watched intelligent decisive men and women go back and forth between these two choices over and over again. And that's why I call it the ping pong effect. And from the perspective of the betrayed spouse, there are moments of joy and hope with the return of the wife or husband, only to experience a renewed anguish when the unfaithful spouse exits the marriage again. And this can go on and on and on for months, even years. It's a process that eventually breaks down everybody involved. And why does it happen? Well, it happens because the person that had the affair is in conflict between two choices, each of them from their perspective with pros and cons. Well, instead of going back and reviewing everything that was said in the first podcast about the ping pong effect and what influences it and what causes it and all that, it's, it's a very real experience that you and I have witnessed in many of the relationships that we work with. Mm-hmm. What would we say to both the person who is on the betrayed side of that, as they're experiencing a partner who doesn't seem to be able to make a clear and certain choice in regards to their relationship, their marriage? What would we counsel them 
to do, to think, to react? How would they react to that? And what would we say then to the person who is in that indecision, experiencing the ping pong effect? For the betrayed partner, they need to take that time, if they're not ready to just call it quits and separate or divorce, to really focus on themselves Mm -hmm. and really focus on what they need and what their healing looks like. So research the term 180, Mm -hmm. um, put very strong boundaries in place, or it can just drive you crazy waiting for the other person to come back. Sure. Then they're back and it feels good and then they leave again. Yeah, know, yeah. And so it's not healthy. It's not, it's not good. Mm-mm. And so anytime that that's been a client of mine, that's what they, I tell them. Put boundaries in place and really focus on your healing, mm-hmm. what it means for you to do your work mm-hmm. until you're ready to make a decision yourself if you're not right. And the healthier you get, the easier it will be to make that decision. Yes. You will know yourself better and know what you need better and be able to A, either deal with what's going on, but in a much more healthy way where you do not let it make you stumble the way that your spouse is going back and forth like this, or B, you will be strong enough and healthy enough to say, this is not okay with me and I'm going to go. But honestly, what we typically see in the person that's been betrayed is not a thoughtful response. No. It's just a reaction to my world has been turned upside down. I don't even know what normal or real is anymore. Mm -hmm. And a desperate longing for, I just want stability. Mm -hmm. I just want certainty. And so when they're dealing with an uncertain partner, it seems like they take on the responsibility. I've got to make this certain. I've got to convince you. For some, it's arguing and trying to point out all the errors of their thinking and doing. For others, it's threatening. For others, it might be manipulation. They go into overdrive, spending a lot of time and energy trying to bring about stability. Sharon, you were saying kind of backing off from that mm-hmm. and saying, you know, that's the responsibility of the other person. Right. You can't assume that responsibility or Absolutely. starts getting unhealthy. Yeah. I mean, I've made the little metaphor to some of my clients, you know, as though they are playing a game of tennis by themselves. They're running back and forth from side to side, trying to hit the ball while their spouse just stands there in one side of the court. And it's like, you can't do that. I mean, you cannot sustain it. Certainly you might be able to go back and forth two or three times, but you're killing yourself. And that energy needs to be spent on your own healing. It is wasted if you're trying to heal, quote, the marriage all by yourself. Well, here's the problem, I think. If that person that's been betrayed puts all this focus and energy on trying to bring a certainty and stability and force their spouse, their partner to a decision, If they finally manage to pressure them to finally make a choice, probably from that point on, they remain responsible for making sure the stability stays in place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If anything seems uncertain, I've got to step back in and bring it back to stability again. Mm -hmm. That's the complete opposite of what they need to regain trust. They need to know that their partner is the one that's stepping up and saying, I broke this, I need to fix it. Yeah, and here's on top of all that... (laughs) is that kind of relationship, even when we're not talking about a relationship where infidelity has happened, even if we're just talking about any other romantic relationship, one where the person allows the other person to yank them back and forth and yo-yo back and forth with their feelings, that person loses self-respect. That person feels defeated. They feel like they're not good enough. So when you take that dynamic and put it on top of the way that you feel like you're not worthy of love when your person cheats on you. So now we've got a double whammy where we feel like, oh, the person cheated on me. And now I don't feel good enough that they even want to stay with me. I'm kind of a sad loser that has to fight to get my person back. So you're just hurting yourself even more. It's taking time away from 
the times that you could sit there and learn how to love yourself and be compassionate to yourself and take care of yourself the way you need to. Probably the biggest encouragement we could give to someone who's experiencing a partner who's in the ping pong, establish boundaries. Yep. Yes. Even separate for a while. If you have Don't to. stay engaged in that no. confusing mess. Mm-mm. Disconnect from it, whether it's physical or emotional separation, until stabilities come back. That's how the betrayed spouse can take control back in a situation that they didn't ask for, that they had no control over. You take control back by focusing on yourself and putting those boundaries in place. So that way you can do your work, do your healing, and it's not about the other person. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You have a choice in this too. It isn't just about your unfaithful spouse's choices. They're not the only ones that have a choice to make. Mm-hmm. You do too. And that helps on two levels. Number one, it reminds them they can leave if they want to. They are not trapped. I think sometimes you feel trapped Mm -hmm. in that somehow. So to remember that, oh, yeah, that's right. At any time, I really could leave. Not that I want to. But something about that makes people breathe easier when they realize, oh, right. That's still an option. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is that it helps them realize that they have a choice in their own healing as well. They can do work. They aren't victims permanently. They have been wounded deeply, but they do have a choice to do the work and take care of themselves. What about the involved partner that's caught in the ping pong, caught in the indecision? They are hurting both people and themselves by not deciding. The most loving thing you can do is just make a decision. That is the way to love them most because you are dragging around two people. Yeah, it, it, it never goes well no. the longer indecision goes right. on. Mm-hmm. It just wounds everybody, hurts everybody over involved. And, mm-hmm. and the most likely outcome, if they can't make a choice, is that they're going to lose both relationships down the road. But that is the most selfish thing ever. So I will help them gently. I will help them realize (laughs) that that really is so, you know, they have to start to look at the other people's feelings as important. Well, I've talked to other counselors that work in this area, and this particular issue is always a complicated one. Mm -hmm. And so the discussion is, well, how do you help someone that is in that confusing place, that ping pong experience? And I don't have all the answers to this, but the one thing that I come back to is really helping that person. If, if they have a curiosity about it, let's, let's be honest. Some people Mm -hmm. that claim to be in decision have really already made up their mind. Yeah. They just don't want to be the bad guy. Or they they feel like the marriage will have financial ramifications if they leave it and all this stuff. So so they really know what they want. They're just being selfish, selfish, lazy, (laughs) whatever. There are legitimately people who are conflicted. Mm-hmm. There's part of them at times going, I think there's value in my marriage. There's a history there. There's something that seems right about doing that. But I also have the strong emotional connection and experience and the affair that's just hard for me to shut the door to. I initially try to work with them by helping them examine the motives behind the choices they're making. And you can listen to the original podcast, but many people are going back and forth between a sense of duty, obligation, rightness, Mm -hmm. and that thing that holds promise for fulfillment, happiness, and the experience. (laughs) Yeah. It won't necessarily be like that Mm -hmm. down the road, but it seems like it now. mm -hmm. I mean, you can't take away the sense that 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 really Mm -hmm. feels that way to them. Now, both of those are legitimate longings and motivations, but to the best of my ability, I try to 
help people step back from that and say, let's examine it from a different perspective. What is the story you're telling with your life? What is your perspective of what a healthy man or healthy woman looks like five years, ten years from now? Now, that may assume that in my mind I'm going, well, of course, that guy's going to go back or that woman's going to go back and fix their marriage and be with their kids. And I think most of the time that probably is a proper response to that, but not every time. Mm -hmm. And if someone's going to choose to leave a marriage, I would rather have them having thought that through based on who am I? What are the values and qualities that I hold on to? Everybody has to define that for themselves. Mm -hmm. If someone really does that work and they've had a past experience of connection and trust in their marriage or relationship, they've really loved each other at some point, more often than not, as they do that work, they find that their heart begins to turn back to their partner. But sometimes not. Mm -hmm. But if they're going to choose to leave, I'd rather have them come have it come from that place rather than that selfish. Is what I feel like? What am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. That just gets kind of confusing. Mm -hmm. That's difficult work to do. There's some resources that I provide for people to help them think that through. But that's my best stab at trying mm -hmm. to help them. Yeah. But it takes time. And when someone's caught up in the motion, it's really mm -hmm. hard to reason at all. But I think the overall short answer is just make a decision. <laughs> well, yeah, if it comes down to, well, I don't know if that's a short answer. That's the eventual answer. The reason I say it's a short answer is because I feel like that should be the goal from the get-go, is yeah, making a decision. Yes. <laughs> There's maybe a lot of work in between now and that, but that mm -hmm. is the overall goal, I think, the whole time. But occasionally, I get to the point where I'm saying, you know what? You are hurting yourself and everybody else. Mm -hmm. Make a choice. So I have a quote. <laughs> About making a choice? About making a choice. <laughs> okay. okay, what is it? It's a little silly, but... It speaks to what we're talking about. It says, be decisive, right or wrong, make a decision. The road of life is paved with flat squirrels who couldn't make a decision. <laughs> <laughs> yes, th it's so true. That is well, true. We see word. that happening. We're never spoken yeah. I mean, so ultimately, sometime we come to that, just we've tried everything to help you make a reasonable choice, one that you will not regret moving forward. Mm -hmm. But if you're still caught, just choose a direction and go for it. Or you'll end up flat. Trying yep. to make the best out of whatever decision you make. <laughs> yep. This earlier podcast dealt with the signs of a fair recovery. I mean, what predicts successful affair recovery? What are the things we look for? And this is part of what was said. Very few people come in and say, hey, what we want is to go back to the marriage we had. First of all, that's impossible. But even if they could, most couples want to move the relationship forward to experience something better and more secure. How do you know if you're getting there? How do you know that what you're experiencing in recovery is legitimate and can be trusted? How can you be sure that you're building something that's going to be good in the future, not just something you'll end up putting up with from now on? What I want to share with you tonight comes out of my experience as a counselor and from my personal experiences as well. I hope you'll be encouraged and learn things that will be helpful to you in your circumstances. But I, I want to be clear, too, that what I say is not meant to be specific counsel for your relationship or marriage. I'll talk about principles you should be able to take and apply, but I know every circumstance is different. So my encouragement for you is to seek out counseling and help for your specific needs. When I'm considering what makes up real affair recovery... The first two things that come to mind have to do with the responsibility of the unfaithful partner. Real recovery isn't just about the unfaithful partner. There are things that the betrayed partner has to be able to do. But the first steps of responsibility and the biggest steps at the beginning have to come from the one who caused the offense. 
the person who had the affair. The first thing that must be seen if recovery is legitimate is this. The unfaithful partner has to demonstrate a definite return to trustworthy behavior. For some, this happens quickly. For others, it takes a bit longer, but it has to happen. I have often been witness to unfaithful spouses who simply say, okay, well, sorry about that, let's just move on. And then they continue with ongoing secrecy about their life and an unwillingness to be open or to disclose the truth. As time goes on, new secrets are discovered and contact with the affair partner is sometimes renewed. Trust is rebuilt when openness and honesty are consistently being offered. It requires an intentional effort by the unfaithful spouse to demonstrate, you can trust me. And the longer it takes them to get to that point, the harder recovery will be. The longer it takes to return to trustworthy behavior, the less likely the marriage will get to a place of renewed intimacy and trust between the two partners. The second evidence of real affair recovery is also the responsibility of the unfaithful partner, creating a safe place in the marriage. Too many times I observe the betrayed spouse being the one working hardest at trying to make the marriage safe again. They try to get the unfaithful partner to do the right things, say the right things, and give assurances that everything's fine. Betrayed partners can wear themselves out trying to do all that. Evidence of genuine recovery, growth, and change is seen when the unfaithful partner assumes responsibility as the protector and the defender of the marriage. I think what I usually tell betrayed spouses when they ask me this is, you will know. What I mean by that is, there will be something happening in your spouse that is unlike anything you've seen before. There will be a type of humility, a type of vulnerability, a type of moving closer to you and feeling connected to you that you've not really experienced before. You'll know that something has changed in them. Because that really is, I think, the biggest determiner of whether a fair recovery is going to be possible is what the unfaithful spouse is doing, especially in those first months after D-Day. It really comes down to the unfaithful partner really making that shift, tuning back into the other person. Um, And that doesn't mean like all of a sudden we're just like going on date nights and things are great again. It's what is that deeper work that they're doing to really figure out why this happened and how to prevent that in the future. Mm -hmm. And it does. There is this shift that's really hard to kind of conceptualize. Mm -hmm. It's very, Mm -hmm. but you'll feel it. You'll see it. It's a diminishing of defensiveness, I think. A willingness, like you said, humility. It's that that change of attitude that tends to come. The, The only thing that I would wonder about, Sharon, is when you say you'll know when it happens, it seems like sometimes the person that is trying to help with recovery, the one that had the affair, the mm-hmm. infidelity. seems to me that they're on that path of generally trying to m- make that work. Mm-hmm. And, and yet the person who's betrayed isn't accepting it. Mm-hmm. And right. still questions it and doubts it. Right. So when you say, oh, you'll just know, are, are there exceptions to that? Well, yes. And I didn't mean to make it sound like this is everybody. Obviously, it takes two people to move through into recovery. I think if the betrayed spouse has been doing their own work on themselves and really, again, establishing healthy boundaries and really taking care of themselves through all the trauma, then they will be receptive to the changes and the attempts of their person. For the betrayed partner, 
a lot of times that change feels very scary. Mm -hmm. It feels almost safer to keep their guards up, to not let them back in, because the fear is if I do that, then either A, I'm accepting that what you did was okay, mm -hmm. which you're not, mm -hmm. but that's what it feels like, mm -hmm. or it feels like I'm opening myself up to hurt again. Mm -hmm. And so I think for the betrayed partner to recognize between one and two year mark, when things, when, they, when both partners are doing the work, they get this all of a sudden, I see they're doing the work, we're moving past this, the triggers are becoming less, and that's scary. Mm -hmm. That trusting again is scary because that means I'm opening myself up again to yep. being hurt or betrayed again. And so that can be very normal, but mm -hmm. also a, a sign that you're there and something that they have to move past, being willing to accept that this person has changed and done their work. Mm -hmm. Probably the signs that we look for would be different depending on what stage of recovery sure. a couple is in. Yeah. So are the things that we look for at the time of exposure and reaction? Mm -hmm. What are the things that we look for that are going to be healthy, more predictable of a healthy outcome, a positive outcome, you know, for the couple? What about that stage of clarity, which is a really important one, where they're looking at what was the truth about the past? Why did you do this? How does that inform the change that you are committed to in the future? Do we have a common vision for our relationship mm -hmm. as we move ahead? Mm -hmm. you, you look for different things during that stage. As the couple moves into cooperation, how do they work together as partners? What are the signs that things are going well or the signs that things aren't going well? And beyond that, moving towards trust and intimacy, it's probably something a little bit different in all those mm -hmm. areas. So it depends on where a couple is mm -hmm. in that stage. Perhaps you could sum it up in saying that the best indicator that healing is happening is that both people are learning to be more vulnerable with each other mm -hmm. and more honest. Vulnerability is a big thing that comes up. Mm -hmm. That That's probably, you know, mm -hmm. if I could put one word to look for mm -hmm. in both partners. Mm -hmm. Yep, in both partners. And, and I would not expect the one that's experienced the trauma to be jumping towards vulnerability. No. They no, won't. No. Mm -mm. But eventually they have to. Mm -hmm. But the one who committed the offense, the one who had the affair, has to be willing to step into that vulnerable space. Yep. And if they're not willing to do that, and it takes on a lot of different forms, then... We look at that and going, you know, we don't know. Maybe you'll avoid divorce, but I doubt yeah. you're going to be really happy about at it. At the very best, you'll probably stall out the relationship and the healing moving forward. You guys will stall and get stuck in a place that isn't truly healed. And that's something that should be maintained, I think, throughout the rest of the marriage, is that yep. willingness to be vulnerable with each other. If you're mm -hmm. feeling upset, if you're feeling sad, if there was grief or a loss, mm -hmm. the more you can tune in and turn to your partner with that, the more you protect the relationship moving forward as well. So Absolutely. I, I think, like you said, Sharon, I wholeheartedly agree that is one of the biggest, most important parts of healing. We hope our conversations have been helpful to you. We've put together additional links and resources to go along with the issues we talked about in this podcast. To find those, go to affairhealing.com slash podcast 407. The Recovery Room Podcast is a resource provided by affairhealing.com. For more information about the podcast and resources for affair recovery, including archives of past programs and the schedule for upcoming ones, please go to affairhealing.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Tim Tedder. See you next time.